It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast, sponsored as always by Shakespeare's Events and Catering. You can order eight pizzas or more from Shakespeare's by phone, walk in and get them. You could probably send them a postcard, whatever. Just order eight pizzas or more. Mention the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Tell them you heard about it on here. They're going to give you a discount above and beyond the discount they already give everyone that orders eight pizzas. And the bonus is this week you can take it to your tailgate, just set it out in the parking lot, and they will cook like well before (laughs) kickoff uh, because it is still a million degrees outside. supposed to cool down by game time. It might rain, a uh, source of much consternation for Barry Odom. Gabe DeArmond here, Mitchell Forty alongside, and I think it's fair to say for the first time this season, a game we're actually interested in watching. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the Week 1 matchup became very interesting very quickly, uh, but, uh, you know, between uh, the fact that it wasn't supposed to be that close and the difficulty we had getting there, it was uh, <laughs> yeah. it was really the last thing on our minds as we sat down for kickoff and ate our burritos. Yeah, uh, yeah no, this this is a big game for both teams. Uh, Missouri, obviously, you know, given how the schedule looked coming into the season, I think if, if you had told people they would start 2-2, two and two, that would have been considered a pretty big disappointment, and I think this would kind of squash uh, a lot of the, the fan support and the excitement. Uh, South Carolina is one and two and has a brutal schedule still to go. If they lose this game, there's a good chance they're not uh, going to the postseason. And these two always just, they play close games and they play weird games. And uh, yeah, I think I just, you know, you feel like this is going to be another good one. Yeah, we're we're going to break this one down. Certainly uh, coming up here in a minute kind of feels like, it, it feels like to me this weekend is the start of the college football season. I mean, mm-hmm. I know we've had LSU, Texas, and there have been a few games here and there, but Georgia Notre Dame this weekend, and it just kind of feels like you're starting to get conference games. This is really the week that everything starts for me. The first three yeah. weeks have been like the equivalent almost of the NFL preseason. Yeah, yeah, I, I get that. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of you know, FCS games or games against the the lower level FBS teams, and, and yeah, no, now we're starting to get into some conference play. Uh, Auburn A and M this weekend, uh, Kentucky Mississippi State. There's there's a few good games, and uh, yeah, so. You know, we'll uh, we'll mainly be watching the one in in Columbia, Missouri, but there'll be a, a lot of good stuff to to watch, and we'll break it all down here. All right, to break this one down, we are going to talk to Colin Taylor from GamecockCentral.com. That is the South Carolina site on the Rivals Network. They do a good job over there. If you're looking for kind of the other perspective, make sure to check that out uh, this week and and get set for kickoff. Uh, Colin, how you doing, man? Glad glad you could take some time. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you guys for having me. I'm doing well, getting ready to ship on out to the other Columbia um, here uh, Friday night. Okay, okay, cool. Glad to uh, glad you be out here this weekend. And I, just before we get into kind of the matchups in this game, I, I want kind of your overall take on Missouri, South Carolina. We've had some discussions on our site this week. I think that both of these teams should go into pretty much every year saying. If we can win the game against the other one and therefore finish ahead of that team in the SEC East standings, we've probably had a pretty decent year. That's probably going to put you third, maybe fourth, but probably third in the SEC East. And 
Like, that's a good year for these teams. It, it, do you think that's a fair way to look? This this tends to be a game that I think determines the season for both teams a little bit. Oh, absolutely. And I think it's it's a weird rivalry that's kind of developed since Missouri, Missouri obviously joined the SEC um, in 2012-2013, whenever it was, um, just because of the weirdness of some of these games. And I think that this is this is now kind of a rivalry, and I don't think these fan bases like each other very much. Um and these teams know how important this game is because if you're South Carolina, I don't think you're really measuring yourself right now, at least to the Georges and the Floridas of the world where those, those programs are. You're measuring yourself to Missouri and Kentucky and um, those next-tier teams because you want to beat them because that gives you a little bit more ground in recruiting, a little bit more national prominence. So, yeah, this is a, this is a big game, um, especially for South Carolina in the microcosm of just this year. This is an absolutely massive, um, I'd call it a must-win for them. Yeah, kind of to, to expand on that, you know, I was going to say, given South Carolina's schedule and the one and two start, if a lot of people have said, and I kind of agree, that if they lose this game, there's a really good chance that they're not going to the postseason. Um, do you think that's something that, that really plays a factor into uh, into the team's motivation for this game? Is that something they've, they've been willing to, to kind of talk about? Yeah, and, and they've talked a little bit um, during their media availability about being desperate this week, knowing how big – this week um, is for them, especially because they always talk every year about um, beating the East and winning the state. That's kind of been their mantra since Muschamp took over. And this is the first chance they obviously get to play an Eastern division team. So they kind of understand that if you go one and three through your first four with Texas A&M, Florida, Georgia, and Clemson still kind of out there along with App State and Kentucky, the chances you get into six wins decreased almost exponentially. So, they understand how big this game is for them, um, and that's kind of the message that they've given off. And especially if you look at if you lose this one to Missouri and then lose next week to Kentucky, you're you're going into a bye week for South Carolina um, at one and four with Georgia up next and Florida after that. So yeah, this is this is a pretty big swing game I think for South Carolina. Um, in the early part of the year. I, I remember looking at South Carolina's schedule in like July and just thinking, man, Will Muschamp must be ready to kill somebody from the from the SEC office. I mean, it, it, what can you do when Clemson's an out-of-conference rivalry, you know? And uh, it, But I, I wanted to ask you more. We've seen – we're three weeks in. I don't think we know much of anything about Missouri. We think they're better than they were against Wyoming. We think they're not – is obviously quite as good as they looked against – Southeast Missouri State last week, but do you know anything uh, about South Carolina? I mean, I, I think if they play North Carolina 10 more times, they probably win seven or eight. I, and then I think they're getting a lot of credit against for what they did against Alabama, and there were a lot of good things in that game, but are they getting a little too much credit for a game that at one point was, you know, 47-16? I think so, and I think you kind of grade that on a little bit different scale given the fact that you are starting – a true freshman at quarterback. Um, they looked good for the most part, uh, missed a lot of chances. Um, but, yeah, you really don't know a whole lot about South Carolina. If Jake Bentley were still starting, I think you would know a lot more. But right now, with the true freshman who has played Charleston Southern, who's bad for FCS standards, and Alabama, you really it's two opposite ends of the spectrum. I think we'll learn a lot more about South Carolina this week and the next week against Kentucky, just because you have, like I said, you've played two completely different ends of the spectrum. And um, the big problem that I've seen from South Carolina that we do know a lot about is their secondary just has not been good. They, they don't, 
they haven't played well. Um, they've had a few busts in coverage against North Carolina and then obviously against Alabama, and um, they just haven't tackled well. So now if they come out against Missouri and, and tackle well and then hold them to you know less years passing than they did against Alabama, um, then you'll start to know a little bit more. But right now, I mean, my guess is as good as yours for what South Carolina is at this point. Yeah, for people that didn't see that Alabama game, and I saw a little bit of it, but obviously we we're getting ready for a game here. It struck me uh, very similar to Missouri's game against Georgia last year. Missouri fans came out of that game going, man, if we just changed two or three plays that, that we screwed up, that's a great game. But I came out of that game last year going, yeah, but I had the feeling Georgia just kind of was doing just enough to keep Missouri at arm's length. D- did you get the feeling it was more a case of South Carolina missed some opportunities or was it a case of Alabama's like, as long as we keep these guys – arms distance were okay or was it some combination of the two i think it was a little bit of both um south carolina had a touchdown call back on a fake field goal on a ticky tack kind of holding call and then they had a non-reviewed touchdown that got called back um late in the first half they didn't get any points off of so they scored those and then alabama probably puts their foot on the gas a little bit more in the second half um and you might still end up with the same margin of victory or Oh, you might get South Carolina losing by 10 or losing by seven. So um, I think Alabama was by far the better team. I'll go ahead and say that. They played better. Um, but yeah, it, no I shame think, in that, by the way. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, but I think South Carolina didn't play up to maybe its potential just because they didn't. They, I think they had eight or nine drives in an Alabama territory and only three ended with scores. So they left a lot out there that they can improve on. They're still not where they need to be in the red zone. Um, But I I think that they're trying to – they're getting closer to what their full potential is after, I guess, what, three weeks of the year. Well, Colin, you uh, you touched a little bit on the uh, the true freshman quarterback Ryan Holinsky. He's come in and uh, replaced Jake Bentley. Um, just just kind of what have, what have your overall impressions been of him? You know, how do his uh, strengths strengths and weaknesses uh, compare and contrast to Bentley's? And uh, has has the offense changed at all uh, with him behind center? He is he is fearless. Um, he's forced a couple balls that you sit there and you're like, you know, what the hell are you doing throwing it? and it gets completed. And and I think that that's obviously a trait you see a lot from freshman quarterbacks. Uh, but he's fearless. Um, they've kind of rekindled the offense a little bit of what they're doing. They're running a little bit more tempo with him in there um, and trying to get the ball out a little bit quicker, get it into guys like Brian Edwards, Shai Smith, and Kyle Markway's hands just in space, um, taking a, a little bit less deep shots than I kind of noticed with Jake Bentley. Um the one thing Holinsky's not really done well at right now um, is handle pressure. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes going forward. But um, I, I think with the more reps he gets in, in handling blitz packages and whatnot, he'll get better at it. But right now, he's um, I think he's gotten sacked three times against Alabama, um, threw a pick against Charleston Southern when he was getting pressured, through another one when he had to force a ball against Alabama. So he'll continue to get better. But I've been – overall impressed with what he's done and I think the coaching staff he threw 57 times which is um, one shy of a school record um, against Alabama so they they trust him Um, he's done well for grading on the true freshman scale so I think sky's the limit for him um, this season and then moving on we're talking with Colin Taylor from Gamecock Central and uh, Colin I think 
uh, every Missouri fan listening to this would actually just prefer to play the starting quarterback from South Carolina at some point because and the weirdest thing about this series has been that the starter hasn't started the game and South Carolina's won them all in the last few years. Yeah, yeah I think it's um I think it's weird because you look back at last year and you have Michael Skarnecki who attempted like 12 passes yeah. his entire <laughs> career come out there and throw for what was it, 200-and-something yards and led a game-winning drive and obviously the Connor Shaw game coming off the bench. Um, yeah, I, I would be nervous if I was a Missouri fan yeah. knowing that this is South Carolina's backup. Uh, but like I said, this has been probably the weirdest series that I could remember dating back to, I mean, my time at Carolina and then um, not covering the team. Well, I hope you advertise that you're on this podcast and South Carolina fans are listening because after reliving those two, all the Missouri fans just turned this off yeah. uh, and, and <laughs> aren't listening that. anymore. But outside of Helinski, I mean, everybody knows the name Brian Edwards because I think he graduated from co- should have graduated from college approximately the same year I did. Uh, Rico Dowdle, <laughs> the the tight end, Markway is a, a St. Louis kid. What what do you view as? Hey, if you're going into a game against this offense, this is what Missouri's got to stop. I think you have to stop the run game. That's kind of been a pleasant surprise for South Carolina this year. They're actually running the ball maybe about as well as they have um, under Will Muschamp. And if you stop that and you kind of make this a one-dimensional game with putting the ball in Valencia's hand and having him make throws, especially late in the game, then you're probably at an advantage. Um, So... That's kind of the big thing, but Brian Edwards is really good. Um, Shai Smith's pretty good, too. He had an insane circus catch last week. There were two Alabama defenders, and um, Kyle Markway is kind of their safety valve. So you stop the run, that helps you out a lot because South Carolina's gotten a lot of, um, le- I don't want to say leeway, but th- that's kind of helped them in the passing game, being able to run the ball as effectively as they had so far. Colin, switching over to the other side of the ball, you touched on it a little bit, the the struggles of the uh, the Carolina secondary. Just curious, you know, what do you kind of view as, as the root of those struggles? Is it, uh, did, did they lose some experience at those spots, uh, just kind of a, a lack of talent, or, or what's kind of been, been the cause of, uh, of the issues in the secondary? It's really at the safety spot. Um, they, their two corners, J.C. Horn and Israel Mukwamu, are, are pretty good, and they've had their moments this year, but at the safety position, they haven't tackled well. Um, they haven't been great in coverage. Um, they, J- Jam Williams, Jemias Williams is as athletic as all get out, but he's only five eight, and that really hurts him um, trying to play safety. So you have a lot of deficiencies there, I think. And I, I don't know if they're going to start both of those guys, but really the weakness of this team right now has been the back end to play. And and Will Muschamp's not been shy about saying that, saying that they need to be better back there because. If they're not, Kelly Bryant's going to pass for, I mean, could be 400 yards against them. Another really interesting parallel between these two programs, I think. I mean, four years ago, Will Muschamp and Barry Odom take over as guys who made their reputations as defensive coordinators and taking bad defenses and making them good. All of a sudden now, the strength of both their teams, really, since they've taken over, has been an ability to score points, but they've struggled to put good defenses out there. I mean, how much, I know it's something that's talked about here a lot. How much is it something that's talked about there? It's, it's interesting because I think that people are so enamored right now with Polinsky and that whole situation that they really haven't talked a lot about. And they've talked a lot about the secondary, but not necessarily the defense as a whole. And um, yeah, they, they, they know how bad that secondary is. And 
Um, I think the defensive coordinator, Travis Robinson, has got a little bit of heat this week coming out of that Alabama game. But um, I, I think you're going to see a different secondary out there this week. I, we haven't confirmed anything or anything. Just my kind of gut feeling is you'll see some new names out there and then try to switch things up because it has been um, pretty bad. And Will Muschamp knows defensive backs more than probably anyone on that staff. So um, my guess is you'll start to see some new names out there this weekend. One other interesting story that, that's kind of cropped up in the lead-up to this game is uh, I saw that South Carolina's team was dealing with uh, kind of a flu bug, a, a sickness going around the team uh, to the point that they actually didn't have practice on Sunday. What What's kind of the level of concern about that? I think it was more of a concern last week, and we really didn't know about it until, I want to say Sunday night when he, when he mentioned it, or Saturday afternoon after the game. Um, I think they had 14 guys out last week at different points throughout practice on Tuesday and then a little bit less and a little bit less, but um, took Sunday off. And I think Tuesday, Muschamp said they only had about six guys missed. So I think it's on the way out right now. They've disinfected this entire, the entire building, I think twice is what Muschamp said. So um, I think it's better now, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if more guys were getting IVs and um, getting some medical treatment before, but knock on wood health wise, I think this virus is slowly getting, getting out of their systems. Well, this this is probably not a great question to end with because we spent 15 minutes talking about how this series has been so weird. And honestly, I think the worst thing you can do in this series is lead late in the third quarter because you're almost certainly going to lose. But I, do you have a feel or what do you what do you think? What do you expect to see this weekend out of this game? Points. Um, yeah, <laughs> I expect a lot of points. Uh, both defense. I mean, the defenses haven't been great. Um, South Carolina's especially. So I expect. Missouri to put up some points, and I think if Falinski continues on what we've seen from him the last two weeks, South Carolina's offense will play pretty well as well. So, do I have a score prediction? No, I'm not even going to bother getting into that because <laughs> yeah. if I say you know, if I say 45 to 40, that'll be 13 to 10, and there's going to be some weird late pass interference that's going to throw off everything. But um, I think it'll be closer than I think the nine and a half point spread or whatever it is now. But um, we'll see. All right, well, Colin, appreciate it, man. Look forward to uh, seeing you here in Columbia this weekend. Thanks, Colin. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks you guys for having me. All right, Colin Taylor, GamecockCentral.com. And really, I think the only thing that everybody expects out of this game I'm going to be shocked if with six minutes to go, it's not a one-score game. Yeah, I agree. And I think think Missouri has – the potential to to pull away and i i definitely think that's in this team's interest because mm-hmm. they haven't shown a, a right. tremendous ability to win close games uh you know i i could see a scenario in which helinski comes in, in his first road game and throws a couple interceptions and missouri takes advantage and, and you know is up 10 to 17 points or something like that but like just knowing these two teams knowing the you know the importance of this game and how this series is gone yeah I agree I think this is going to be one of those games that that comes down to the last couple possessions and one thing that I think like this has to come into people's minds somewhere is I almost feel like Missouri has to be up 10 to 17 points (laughs) simply because Nobody on this roster knows what it's like to win this game. Yeah. And nobody on South Carolina's roster knows what it's like to lose this game. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Yeah, I mean, Missouri hasn't hasn't won this game in Barry Odom's tenure, and this is fourth year. So, yes, you're you're right. I mean, yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting. And, you know, obviously that wasn't something that, that people were going to make a big deal about when we uh, talked to them on Tuesday, just kind of the, the past history against South Carolina. But you you got to expect that that's a factor going in. Maybe it could work for Missouri and, you know, the, the revenge type factor. But also, uh, you know, we've seen 
especially against South Carolina, but overall Missouri's teams kind of sometimes struggle when they get hit in the mouth or when adversity surfaces and, and it so, sort of looks like they, you know, expect things to go wrong for the next few minutes and they got to kind of break out of that cycle. And, and this is kind of the opponent you worry about it most because it has happened yeah. so many times. Yeah. we do, the, the truth is when games come down to one or two plays in the fourth quarter, this team has failed to make them more often than it has made. Correct. Um, and so that's, that's kind of what you hesitate about. We'll, we'll kind of finish up. We'll move on to the rest of the SEC see in a minute but this game is and we talked about it with Colin I think it is a must win game for both teams but in different senses yeah. I mean South Carolina let's be honest South Carolina is not going to be better than seven and five mm-hmm. I, I mean their schedule is just absolutely awful and the North Carolina loss really changed the outlook of their season to yep. me so it's a must win from them for them from the sense of we want to play a bowl game yeah for Missouri, like even if they lose this game, I still think this is probably a six or a seven win team. Right. I think they're going to a bowl game. But if you lose this game, all that talk of nine or ten mm-hmm. and going to Athens with the chance to win the East, all that's done. And especially when you consider, you know, the the looming potential bowl ban, you know, right. they need you you needed as much, you know, good early in the season as you could to kind of keep excitement around for this team. Yeah, because... Can you imagine what happens if they lose this game and then during the bye week right. the NCAA sanctions are upheld? Right. Like, I mean, there's no there's nothing is, left to watch. Is, the yeah. crowd for Troy is like 28,000. I mean, it's not. It's better yeah. than that. Right. But, you get the but there's just nothing left to, to really root for in the season other than maybe like a shocking upset of Georgia, but right. that's on the road. So, yeah. No, yeah, I, I think, like you said, very important to both teams for different reasons. Um, you know, at least Missouri's at home. Uh, first road start for a true freshman should should be in their favor a little bit. But I don't know. In the words of, of Pete, Pete Scandalberry, I think we'll just expect the unexpected. I think that's the the proper mindset to take into this one. Absolutely. But again, the the first game this year that I feel like we're really going in saying, hey, I'm I'm interested to see this one. This is exciting. Um, you know where you can always not have to expect the unexpected because you always know what you're going to get. Shakespeare's events and catering. Eight pizzas or more. Call in your order. Walk in, whatever. Give them my name, Mitchell's name, the Power Mizzou podcast, whatever. Mention this show in some form. They are going to give you a uh, a discount, 5% above and beyond their already discounted group rates. So do that. If you do it on game day, that's great. But do it any other time, and uh, the deal is good. I was going to say 24-7. I don't think Shakespeare's is open yeah, 24 hours. I don't think that's accurate. Yeah, I mean, don't call Shakespeare's at 3 a.m. Uh, but, you know. Call them at some point during business hours, and you're going to get that discount. We are now going to continue the SEC East theme of talking about teams no longer playing their starting quarterback. We're going to check in down in Gainesville on the Florida Gators with Jackie Franchuli from GatorsTerritory.com. And, uh, Jackie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Gabe? Not too bad. appreciate you taking some time, and that's where, obviously, we have to start and I want to ask you not just about, obviously, Felipe Franks being out, Kyle Trask taking over. Uh, Missouri fans have a view of this, that Florida is now a better team. I think the reason they have that view is Missouri fans saw Felipe Franks on what I think was one of the worst days of his career last year. So I think he's a better quarterback than Missouri fans think he is. But is there a a part of Florida's fan base or, or people that cover the team that think Florida actually might have a chance to be a better offense now? I agree with you about Felipe Franks having probably one of the worst games of his career against Missouri last year. I completely agree there. And I haven't decided yet because I haven't seen Kyle Trask once start a game. He hasn't done that since his freshman year of high school. 
And I haven't seen him face a defense that has time to prepare for him. Don't forget, against Kentucky, that, those Kentucky defenders didn't prepare for Kyle Draft. They prepared for Felipe Frank. So this is going to be an interesting game against Tennessee to see how he's going to face a defense that has prepared for him and to see how he has done to adapt to that during the game. That's something that we still had questions with Kyle Trask. How is he going to be when he's reading the defense? How is he going to be for the entire game? Is it going to be consistent enough? Um, I do agree to one aspect where I think Florida will now be better in the air now. Um, I think he's such a more decisive passer. He likes to kind of swing those balls a little quicker, which allows the wide receivers to get open and get some yards after the catch, something that Felipe Franks didn't do because he held on to the ball a little bit too long. Um, So Kyle Trask does offer that ability. Um, We saw that against Kentucky where he's very mobile inside the pocket. Um, I think one of the best plays that really illustrated that was his 30-yard reception with uh, Kyle Pitts. He kind of slid to the side when he was getting pressure from Kentucky's defense and then threw it to Kyle Pitts and then set up that go-ahead touchdown. So I think we've seen the potential of Kyle Trask. Um, The only thing that you're going to miss with Felipe Franks gone is that Kyle Trask does not use his legs as much as Felipe Franks. Felipe Franks became a willing runner um, the last year or so. Um, I think particularly after that Missouri loss, it seemed like that light bulb went on. Um, Felipe Franks was an entirely different quarterback from that Missouri game. He slowly progressed even more after that loss. Um, and he became a, a very good runner. Um, and Dan Mullen was easily using him a lot in those short-range games, like fourth and one, fourth and two against Miami, and he can tuck it the ball and run. Kyle Trask does not give you that, but Emory Jones does. Now, that's something that now, when you look forward, you might see Emory Jones a little bit more. Um, Dan Mullen was comparing these two quarterbacks to maybe what he had in 06 at Florida, Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. He actually made a statement that caught us a few off guard saying that Emory Jones is a little further ahead than what Tim Tebow was in 06. So that's going to be a different how he's going to approach it now. How much is Emory Jones going to be in? Because before when Felipe Franks was in, I don't think Emory Jones is going to be in as much as people predicted. But now that Kyle Trask is in, he's just more of a passer rather than a runner that Dan Mullen likes to run his offense. I can see Emory Jones have an impact a little bit more in the game now. Um, especially because Florida's run run game has not been doing well at all because the O-line is fail, failing to get their sec, to the second level and get that push going. And some of their tight ends are missing their blocks completely. So right now, without a run game, you have a quarterback that's not really good with the run, focus more on the passing, you need that option. So that's why I think Emory Jones is actually going to factor in more. Yeah, you actually kind of answered my, my next question a little bit already, but so Obviously, Emory Jones was uh, was a relatively highly rated prospect, and and is going to be there with uh, Kyle Trask, kind of moving forward. Is going to is going to get some reps. Do you, do you feel like it's a situation where the staff is is pretty set on you know using Kyle Trask maybe for the majority of the staff? He's kind of now the 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 guy as far as you know the the quarterback who's going to throw the ball and just work Emory Jones in every now and again, or is that a situation where they're kind of you know on the in real time battling to to maybe be the number one kind of quarterback moving forward? I think from everything we've heard, I think Kyle Trask is still slightly ahead of Emory Jones. Even coming in from fall camp, it always seemed like Kyle Trask has a slight edge. Um, Dan Mullen always kind of puts a lot in game time experience. Um, And Kyle Trask did have just a little bit more. I know Emory Jones last year did have a few games where he came in, like against Georgia. 
and against Michigan and um, and against uh, I forget uh, Colorado State. So there, here's there's a couple of games that he came in towards the end of the game because obviously you could do that now with the new redshirt rule, but. Um, he still puts a lot in game experience. Kyle Trask has a little bit more and a little more time just in practice and college game experience. So I think Kyle Trask will still be the default starter unless he really comes out on Saturday and throws three picks right in a row or if he completely fails at everything he does. Um, because I think what Mullen has done and what he showed Felipe Franks last year, he doesn't give his quarterbacks a short leash. He allows them to learn during the game, which helps Felipe Franks progress because that's something that Jim McQuaid failed to do um, early on. Um, Felipe Franks' confidence was completely shot because of that yo-yo type of deal. Oh, you screwed up. I'm going to take you away. Um, and that's not what Mullen's style is. So I do think Kyle Trask will be the guy that's starting from now on. Um, I just think that maybe Emory Jones may factor in a little bit more as the season goes on. My view of Florida coming into this season and really now, and I think a lot of people outside of Gainesville feel this way, is I know they were 10-3 and last year. It didn't really look like a 10-3 and team to me. They're 3-0 and and in the top 10 this year. They've had two games that, that they won on close plays at the end, and they deserve credit for that. I, I guess, is Florida, do you think they're as good as the record says they are, and do they have something in close games, or is playing – playing this way, going to catch up to them at some point here with the schedule getting a little tougher, at least after this weekend against Tennessee and next week against Towson, because I don't think either of those are incredibly tough. No, no. I, I When I look at Florida right now, I just look at their, their concerns at depth. Um, you've got, for example, last weekend against Kentucky, you had C.J. Henderson out with an ankle sprain. Jabari Zuniga, who also suffered an ankle sprain during Kentucky, he's suffered that in the first drive of the game. He tried to come back in the second half, but couldn't. And then you had Jaylon Taylor, who injured his shoulder again, it looked like at practice, so maybe he's not going to play on Saturday. And then you just keep looking at all these injuries, and you're like, wow, this must really affect them down the line. Um, they don't have the numbers in the secondary. Um, so that's, that's a problem they're going to have. Um, on the defensive line, they do have some good backups in there. I think um, Jabari Zuniga would be a huge miss, but I think Zach Carter could step up. But you, you keep thinking, man, if one more injury happens on that line, especially on the O-line, you're thinking, wow, they're going to have to play a true freshman. So I think as the season goes on, that's my main concern with Florida. Because if you keep having all these close games, fatigue is going to set in. So and that's where my concern with Florida is. And that's why I haven't been – Prior to the season, I thought LSU and Georgia were the two losses that they would suffer this year, and I had Missouri and South Carolina as a few games where I flip-flopped a bit. Um, just because of where they are in the schedule, I felt like on the road to Missouri and on the road to South Carolina, were, I would consider trap games for them. Um, and Honestly, I had questions about Missouri coming in, so I thought, well, you know what, Missouri has been is able to kind of work together and you kind of see how the new offense looks in the TV oh, maybe they can beat Florida. And I still think that. So I don't think they're a top 10 team right now. Now, can they become one once, you know, if they stay healthy and if Kyle Trask, you know, is consistent enough? Maybe. But right now I just don't buy their top 10 team. I think I think they have the potential to be, but I'm just worried about injuries right now. Right now they only have 77 scholarship players. That, that's, that's a lot of holes there. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
it seemed my impression kind of coming into the season seemed like, you know, Florida fans obviously very happy with, with the step forward last season, uh, making a New Year's Six Bowl, winning 10 games. It, it seemed like the next step, the goal was was to obviously compete with Georgia to win the SEC East and try to beat Georgia head-to-head. Do you feel like given the way this season started, is that still kind of the expectation from, from fans? And, you know, how realistic is that? I think fans always expect that. I, I think they, they they always want to beat Georgia, and they think um, they had a strong chance of it in the beginning of the season. And honestly, if Felipe Franks was still healthy um, and some of the other guys were healthy, I, I, w- I would think it would be a closer game than last year. Although when I looked at the game last year, I thought the actual game was closer than the scoreline stated. But right now, with the depth concerns that I have, and if this O-line doesn't get it together – it's going to be a long game for Florida against Georgia. Um, I think there's too many questions for Florida right now. Um, if they can't establish the run game and you have a quarterback that likes to stay in the pocket, you're going to get predictable. So um, I, I, don't, I wouldn't pick Florida against Georgia right now. Um, and I think a lot of it, too, has to do with their recruiting efforts. I think they do need to pick it up on the trail. Um, Florida is doing better. Um, like Dan Mullen kind of reorganized his support staff a little bit. Each assistant coach has a staffer with him now, which is allowing them to recruit a little bit better. But that change just happened during the off season around the spring and the summer. So that's something that's happening right now. And I think that's because Dan Mullen realized he needs to win the race on the recruiting trail, which is something he hasn't done. Um, when you lose a guy like Demarcus Bowman from Lakeland, and he's going to Clemson, that's not a good sign. You need to keep those in-state kids, especially a kid that's only two hours away from your campus, home. Um, and that's something that he, he kind of points to, so that's how we're going to catch Georgia, and that's something he's changed right now. So it might be a little bit of a process still, but this year, right now, if you had to ask me, Florida can beat Georgia, I would say no. I wouldn't pick anybody in the SEC against Georgia right now, and that includes Alabama. But i curious for your take on the East as a whole. I, I think, I mean, Georgia is in a class of its own. I think in the opposite direction, Tennessee and Vandy are in a class of their own. Um, mm-hmm. Florida, Missouri, South Carolina, Kentucky, I view those as, I like, it won't shock me if any of those teams finishes second. Uh, although I, Florida obviously has a leg up having beaten Kentucky. I, I think the thing that we – so often dismiss is the biggest thing is who you play from the West. Like Missouri gets Old Miss and Arkansas and Florida gets mm-hmm. LSU and Auburn. I, I mean, so it's in no way the same schedule, but how do you view kind of the middle of the SEC East? And I'm sure that Florida will consider it a failure if they're anything worse than second. Oh yes. Yeah. Well, Florida fans will, will be extremely angry if they're not second in the SEC East. Well, some of them will be extremely angry to win the SEC. Right. That's another whole conversation. Um, so, yeah, I, at the beginning of the season, again, I, I thought Florida had enough to go into the season and, you know, go and at least be second in the SEC East. When I look at it and I saw how they struggled against Kentucky's O-line and Kentucky's D-line, those are two physical lines. And I'm thinking, oh, this is just the beginning for them in the SEC schedule. Um, obviously, I look at Auburn and I think – you know, they. I still don't know much about Auburn's. Like, there's got so many questions about them. But like you said, when you face Auburn LSU, Florida's already got a tougher challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and also facing Auburn, then at LSU, then at South Carolina, I think Florida could possibly go in the middle of the pack. I think they they, they couldn't fall to third. That's also trying to. We still don't know what Kyle Trask is capable of on a day in day out basis. 
All so right. when you look at the so when you look at the other teams, I could honestly see Missouri kind of slide up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to follow those four teams the rest of the season. And Jackie, I'm sure we'll check in with you closer to uh, when Florida comes here to Columbia in mid-November. But thanks for the time. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. Thanks, right. Jackie. Jackie Franchuli, GatorsTerritory.com, and. I'll be honest, that's the first time I'd looked at Florida's schedule. And, like, we've talked so much about Missouri's schedule. But you can't even quantify what an advantage that is to not only, A, get Florida at home, but instead of LSU and Auburn, you're playing Ole Miss and Arkansas. Like, (laughs) given that schedule, Missouri should finish ahead of Florida in the division. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's legitimate. That's like swapping out, you know, it's like adding, like, two group of five teams to the schedule. I mean, it's a quarter of of the conference schedule where you should have 2-0 against 0-2. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, I I think, you know, I I think even with Felipe Franks at quarterback, Florida was – potentially due for a little bit of a regression this year just because of like you said they they won some close games and they didn't they didn't have as tough of a schedule last season um now without him it's you know those questions are, are even magnified but but who knows i mean certainly it's possible that that kyle trask could step in and and play just as well and if if emory jones is the second coming of tim right. tebow look out You're right <laughs> i also think it's possible that like missouri south carolina florida and kentucky just kind of all beat each other yeah, yeah. and they all end up like four and four and georgia wins this division by four games yeah no i think that i'd say yeah that wouldn't surprise me at all if they all just go like two and two against each other and mm-hmm. and yeah are all just kind of in the middle of the pack that really honestly i would that I would not. I would expect that, but you know, then like you said, you look at it, and then if, if that happens, Missouri gets two wins from the West, and maybe you know right. South Carolina's going to lose two from the West because they played Bama, and then they still have uh, A and M coming up, and yeah. uh, Florida probably best case one and one against the West, so that puts Missouri you know ahead of those those other two teams in the in the standings. Yeah, and Kentucky has a West game this weekend against Mississippi State, Tennessee, Florida, Georgia, Notre Dame. Like, I feel like welcome to college football season. It's finally <laughs> starting. We made it. Yeah, so uh, three weeks warm-up and uh, Missouri-South Carolina at 3 o'clock on Saturday. We will have full coverage of that one. Thanks for listening. Uh, Next week's podcast, no game next week, but we are doing a podcast. We're going to have Jim Sterk on the podcast. Who knows? Maybe we're talking about an NCAA ruling. Uh, that's kind of what we're rooting for, I think, for the ruling <laughs> yeah. to come out Friday morning and or Thursday morning, and Jim still to do the interview. Yeah. Well, one, it'd it be great happen. if it was during a bye week because mm-hmm. we would have more time to address it. And two, yes, if we could get Jim Stark's first comments, which for sure would not happen. It, absolutely. If it comes out Thursday for. morning, Jim Stark's not coming on the <laughs> podcast. But. You don't know that for sure, so still listen. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Uh, Mitchell will impersonate Jim Sterk if that happens. So uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.